Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to those of you that are here. Good morning to those of you that are watching online. I'm glad that you are all joining us. The two most exciting sermons in a series are the first and the last. And um, it is fun to be uh, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. It's a rather daunting task to preach Jesus' preaching. <laughs> it feels kind of ridiculous, um, but it's what we do. It's what we have to do. Um, because you don't want to hear Sam's good ideas. You want to know Jesus' truth, right? So... Uh, first things first, um, I have to deal with um, Dr. Ratza, Dr. Tiberius Ratza last week. I did check my closet. There are zero ties. <laughs> the Lord has cast them out from my closet, and I am thankful for his grace in that way. Let's turn to Matthew 7. We were thinking about the good life, and the good life is defined by a relationship with the king. I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom has come close. Um, that is because the king has come. We have been moving through the Sermon on the Mount, and several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Kip started us with the Beatitudes. And what that section of scripture explains, that was Jesus' refutation of the teaching of the day that you could tell whether or not someone was accepted by God by their external position. In other words, if they were wealthy, if they were healthy, if everything was good with them, you could know just by looking that God had accepted them. And Jesus comes along and says, that's a lie. Um, because God has accepted and loved and given new life to the broken. Um, and so that's where we started. Uh, following week after that, we talked about the need for congruency. That Jesus says to the people who are listening to him that your righteousness had better be, be better than that of the religious leaders. And the people listening in that day would have said, well, that's impossible. We can't do that. They are clearly the ones that God has blessed. Um, if they're not getting into the kingdom, then no one is. And Jesus says, uh, not true. They aren't going to get into the kingdom. Uh, but if your righteousness is better than theirs, you can. And then he unpacks what that looks like. And his first answer is congruency, that the inside and the outside of a follower of Jesus are to be the same. By the way, they're both supposed to be good. They're both supposed to be pure and righteous and set apart. And so there is to be congruency between the inner man and the outer man. Uh, the week after that, Joe talked about the fact that um, not only should our um, outside be good, but the motivation for that outside ought to be good. And that's obviously that's connected with congruency. But it asks the question, am I doing the good thing to be seen by men, to be rewarded by them, or to be rewarded by my father? And which is better? be rewarded by men or to be rewarded by your father who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, that's better. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize we were doing that, but that's. Um, there is a time coming when the father will openly reward us in front of the saints. Um, that is what he does. And that was Bruce's next message, is lay up treasure, 
Not here, that's great. If you have treasure here, that's fantastic. But you know what? Moth and vermin, my version says, is gonna eat that and destroy it. Uh, Wealth that we accumulate here is good and it can be a powerful tool to use um, for what God wants and to bring him glory. Um, But treasure in heaven um, is unable to be lost. And so he says, put your focus there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Um, And so focus on eternity and doing things now that set us up for reward then. So we need to settle the issue of ownership, and that's what Bruce talked about a couple weeks ago. Last week, Tiberius took on um, our relationship with our fellow man. What is that supposed to look like? How do we do better than the Pharisees in that way? Um, The Pharisees were extremely good at being judgmental. They were very good at condemnation. Um, But that is not doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, That is doing unto others as you see fit. Um, And that's what they did. And Jesus said, your righteousness needs to be better than that. It is not my job. It's not your job to condemn, to stand in judgment of other people. Um, Tiberius said it this way. The the spirit comes and says, scooch over. You're in my seat when we're sitting in the judge's seat. Um, So we are, of course, uh, Tiberius pointed out, we are to know people by their works. And Jesus is going to come back to that today. So we are to evaluate we, can't, we have to be discerning, uh, but we may not be condemning and judging in that way. So this morning, uh, we're at Matthew 7, starting at verse 13. So turn there. If, it, if you're using the Bible in front of you, it's page 788. Our first section here, just first two verses. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so Jesus here is talking about two roads. His sermon, his preaching, is very much either or. We live in a culture and a time when either or um, is a sign of intolerance. Um, It's a sign of bigotry or whatever. Um, uh, Jesus taught either or. And we're going to see that all uh, throughout. And so there are two roads. And there are two gates that lead to those roads. There is a wide, comfy road with a wide, comfy gate. And you can fit anything through that gate. Uh, Package up everything you want. And that road will be wide enough. That gate will be tall enough Uh, for you to bring all of that baggage through. Uh, But Jesus talks about a narrow gate. And I don't know exactly what he meant, but a narrow gate isn't going to let you bring a whole lot through. A narrow gate is going to say, oh, all that stuff there, no, you don't get to bring that with you. And you don't need that. Uh, The narrow gate, the narrow road is a hard road, but it leads to life. The broad road is the easy road. Our culture keeps building that road. It widens it, it smooths it, puts new asphalt on it every year. Fills the potholes, makes it comfy, makes it easy. Puts entertainment along the sides. Easy off ramps so you can grab McDonald's along the way. 
It's not an attack on McDonald's. I eat it regularly. I shouldn't. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> She's right over there. That road is the go with the flow road. It's a comfortable road. It's the one that everyone else is on. And if you want to be like everyone else, if you want to be accepted and fit in, that's the road for you. But at the end of that road, there is eternal condemnation. Jesus says the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. Uncomfortable teaching, but Jesus taught it, so I think we should. The other road, the narrow road, is hard, it's difficult, it isn't easy, uh, it can be frustrating, it can be confusing, but it leads to, and it is a path of life, of entering into eternal rest and peace in relationship with our Father. So these are the two roads. It says the second road is small and only a few find it. And the question might be, well, is God hiding it? Like, why do only a few find it? Is he trying to make it so that people can't find this road? And the answer is, no, that's, that's not it. In fact, the answer is up in verse 7, uh, last week from uh, Tiberius's sermon. 7.7 seven says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Well, what? What are we asking and seeking for? And I think within the context of the sermon, it is righteousness that is better than the Pharisees. Because they would have gotten to the end of the sermon, and they would have said, well, Jesus, how in the world do we, I get it, congruency and my internal motivation. And they would have that list, but they're like, but, but what? How do, I, how do I actually do that? And Jesus says, ask. Ask. Seek, knock. He is not sitting up there saying, I'm not going to give it unless they do the exact right thing. He's saying, I want to have relationship. I want to reward. I want to know you. Asking means that we are humbling ourselves. Do you hate to ask for directions? There was a time, children when we did not have maps in our pockets that led us unerringly almost to anywhere we wanted to go. I used to drive with an atlas in my truck. Yes, I see some of you old people nodding. <laughs> it's, it's what we had, and I had one of like Kosciuszko County, and um, so you knew where things were because you didn't want to stop and ask. I mean, it really isn't that you don't want to humble yourself. It was usually just I don't want to slow down because uh, I like to drive fast. But stopping and asking for directions is a sign of humility. And that is what entering the road requires. It requires humility. That we knock, that we seek, that we ask. The people on that road are the people that the Beatitudes describe the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek. That's who you'll meet on that road. It's a narrow gate. Jesus continues, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So Jesus says that there are two trees. These trees are also these wolves. One of them is. The bad tree is a tree that will not bear good fruit. The bad tree is the false teacher. Sometimes it's easy to identify a false teacher. <laughs> There's, I won't give you a list, uh, but lists have been created. Uh, there's this one Christian rapper I know who does a song on like just false teachers and he lists them for like three minutes in his song so I can refer you to that. <laughs> but those probably aren't the false teachers that he's talking about. He's probably talking about the false teachers who look right and say mostly right things because they're in sheep's clothing. They're not wolves dressed up with a tie. Tiberius, no, it's not a Tiberius reference. <laughs> but they look like sheep, so that means that their preaching is going to sound pretty good. But they will leave things out or they will insert things that take advantage of people, that reduce them, and that strengthen and empower themselves. They are damaging to the body of Christ and we're to watch out for them. How do we know them if they look so good? Jesus says that you will know them by their fruit. I have a tree, if you look at this image, I have a tree, a couple trees in my yard that produce only the, the, the second to the, from the right, or from the left, sorry, I don't know my directions, um, kind of the middle one, or it gives me that one on the far right-hand side. When we bought the property six years ago, I was like, there are four fruit trees on this. What a winner. Like, get free apples and, and pears. And all I've ever gotten is that. <laughs> and the one was so bad that I was like, well, I have to cut this down. So I cut it down. Another one, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why it doesn't bear good fruit, because it has a gaping hole in it that goes through basically to the other side. That tree, I'm such an optimist. I'm like, well, maybe this year. After the sermon series, I should probably just go cut them down <laughs> because they're never going to give good fruit. You may say, well, hang on, Sam. I've known some good people who do something wrong. Um, Jesus here is not talking about one and done sins. He's not talking about that because we all sin and are in need of forgiveness, confession daily, hourly sometimes. Uh, but fruit takes a long time to develop, doesn't it? It, it is not quick. We're going to see the little flowers before long, and then we're going to wait months. They're an agrarian society. They understand this. And so when Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them, he's not talking about the thing they did yesterday to you that made you mad or hurt you. 
He's talking about the body of work. He's talking about over a period of time, we're gonna get to see um, the consequences and the results of their work, and that's how we're gonna know them. So that goes back to discernment that Tiberius talked about last week. So there are two roads, there are two trees, and notice how this one ends. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Jesus started with that our outside works are not a clear indicator of our acceptance before God, right? That's what he was saying in the Beatitudes. And now he says here that our outside works are not a clear indicator of our relationship with Jesus. Because you can do a fantastic job serving in children's ministry. You can do a fantastic job preaching a sermon. You can do a fantastic job leading a church. You can do a fantastic job brewing coffee and handing it out. You can do a fantastic job making the bulletins or whatever the thing is. That does not mean that we know him. What does Jesus say? Get away from me. I never knew you. Jesus is not looking for activity, first and foremost. He is looking for relationship. And I don't know how to say that any more than what we've been saying, is that we need to know Jesus, and we need to be known by him. And our good deeds, our church attendance, our service will not be our entry card into the kingdom. It will be our relationship of submission to Jesus. Jesus then talks about two builders. The house is not what's in focus. It's the builders that are in focus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I've been in the building industry for six or seven years now, maybe more, I don't know. Um, the foundation that we put in is the most important aspect of the home. We sink tons of money, 20% of the cost of a home gets put underground, sometimes more, depending on where you build. Sometimes you have to drill down. Uh, we'll take great big screws called helicals, and some people use pilings or piers, which are like telephone poles, and they get smashed in. But we take great big screws, and we screw them down into the ground 20, 30, 40 feet until it hits something strong enough that we can pour the foundation on. That's how important the foundation is. And Jesus says that there are two kinds of builders, the wise man and the fool. And the wise man builds his house on that foundation, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though it may not be exactly where you want it. That's what he does. There is congruence between his hearing and his activity. We can know a great deal about scripture. 
We can understand Jesus' teaching perfectly clearly, but if we will not put it into practice, we are the fool. And not putting it into practice means that we do not have a relationship with him. The storms will come. These two houses are gonna look identical when they're built. And while it's sunny and nice, probably both will serve you pretty well. But when the rain comes and washes away the foundation of that sandy house, it will collapse. And you lose everything. That is the end of that broad road. We can fool people for a long time. We cannot fool Jesus at the judgment seat. That storm will come. There may be storms before that. Uh, Bruce talked about it um, two weeks ago that Alfred Nobel had a storm enter his life and it was the death of his brother, which would be terrible. But they thought it was his death, one of the media outlets did, and wrote an article about how terrible he was. That storm allowed him to assess his life and do something about it. The storm will not only come at the end, but the storms will certainly come along the way. You will lose a job that you felt like was very secure. You will lose health that you had taken for granted. You will lose parents, you will lose siblings, you will lose spouses, you will lose children. And those storms will hit the house that we have built in the listening to Jesus and putting it into practice, and it will test it. And then you will get to see, and others will get to see, have you been doing it? I have known many people whose houses have collapsed when the storm hit. And they walk away from God, they walk away from the faith, well, he has let me down. And I'd say, no, he didn't promise you that. You're disappointed in him, I get that. He's a God who can part the sea, make water come out of a rock. It's frustrating when he lets something bad happen to you. But when the storms hit, if we have been developing an accurate, uh, faithful relationship with him, it doesn't mean it's not gonna hurt, doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. Doesn't mean that we're not going to question and cry and yell. But the house will stand. And I can look around the room and I can see many people who have weathered the storm and had a testimony, not of their goodness, but of God's faithfulness through that. Those storms are terrible, but there is a final storm coming, the day when you die. And that day will come. 
Ah, yeah, some of you are like, well, what about the rapture, Sam? It definitely ends this mode of life. The rapture will. But judgment is coming. And it will reveal our works. Matthew ends, this isn't Jesus' teaching, obviously, this is Matthew's assessment. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed, they marveled, they gaped open-mouthed because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We know that the religious leaders of the day taught saying, Rabbi Ben so-and-so said such-and-such, but Rabbi Ben someone-another said this other thing, and they would pile up long histories. And in fact, a great way to show how learned you were was to have long streams of religious men before you who went far back in their teachings. And Jesus came along and said, you've heard it said, but I say. And that broke their thinking. They were not used to that. Matthew is showing us here at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount that we have two teachers. We have two options. We have Jesus or the teachers of the law. We have Jesus and his heavenly wisdom or we have the earthly wisdom that false teachers give us. We have heavenly truth or we have our culture's lies. It's only two teachers. It's Jesus or something that isn't Jesus. So what has been transformed into therefore for today? Because that's what Jesus says in verse 24. Therefore, we definitely want the good life. We definitely want life. We want to know that we are going to enter into reward. So what? Therefore, enter through the narrow gate. That's what we need to do. We need to enter through the narrow gate. This is the way of the good life. It is following King Jesus, the destroyer of our enemy. If you have never entered through the gate, if you don't know what it means to be a follower of Jesus, um, I'm going to talk you through it here in a moment, but there is a QR code that you can um, scan that. You can talk to me after the sermon. You can grab, uh, Pastor Bruce is right down here. There's, um, maybe you came with someone uh, that, that invited you. You can find them and ask how to do it. But you could also write down Romans 10, 9 through 13. In that passage, uh, Paul says that we need to confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. It isn't hard to find the narrow road. It is about submitting to him and his authority in our lives. It's about trusting him to deal with our enemy rather than us trying to deal with our enemy. 
we do have to accept his lordship. We do have to submit. We have to obey. Our insides have to match our outsides. And then he becomes our savior. There are only two ways, the world's way that leads to eternal death and Jesus' way that leads to eternal life. Have you already entered? Then verse 24, hear those words of his and put them into practice. If you've already entered, then build your house well. Put his words into practice. You have a note card. Uh, I hope you have a pen. That's what I didn't provide for you or asked to be provided for you. There are index cards that look like this, only without writing, in the pew in front of you. Pick it up. Even if you don't have a writing utensil, take the card, slide it in your Bible, and then I will permit you to do this on your phone. Although I kind of hate that. This card, I'm hoping, is going to be the card that you tape to your mirror in the bathroom, to your fridge, maybe, which is probably not in your bathroom. I'm not going to judge. Actually, I might. We, we should probably talk about that if your fridge is in your bathroom. Uh, maybe it will be not in an ostentatious place on your desk at work, but in a quiet place where it's not showing off how spiritual you are to your coworkers. I'm going to have you write some things on it. All right? So if you have a pen, grab that. If you don't, you can get your phone. If you can't keep up with me, you may come up afterwards and take a picture of this so that you can write it at home later, okay? I'm going to give you six guideposts, six practices. And it is, I'm not telling you exactly how you execute them. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I'm going to give you six things that you can do that will help you build that relationship with Jesus. Number one, write truth about God. If I don't see you writing, at least pretend to be writing. That way I don't get all mad up here. No, I'm just kidding. Truth about God. When I hear that, I think doctrine, I think theology, because I'm a theologian, and I've, that's the kind of training I've done. Um, there are lots of great books that you could read. Um, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, is the one that like, changed my life back when I was in college. Um, but there are probably other ones that are fantastic. Truth about God, thinking about him, think about the things that you know to be true about God. That's what that means. Each day, set a time to think about the things that you know to be true about God. You may say, I, I don't know a whole lot, Sam. I probably don't know as much as you. Well, maybe not, but you know something. You know, you know some things about God. Focus on those things and think about those things. Secondly, write beautiful and noble thoughts. That comes from Paul's verse, whatsoever things are. Um, and it's hard to remember true, noble, right, pure, lovely, acceptable, excellent, and praiseworthy. I have it written down, so I didn't. But 
That's what we're talking about. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are acceptable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. At our group on Thursday night, we have a, a mnemonic device, trust no random pizza lying about, except pepperoni. Uh, and that will give you the first letter of those things. I can write that down for you later too. But in this section, what you need to do is, is intentionally each day think about beautiful and noble things. Because that's how we strengthen our thinking, a way that we think strengthen our thinking. How do you do that? Well, um, there's, there can be beautiful art, uh, whether that's music or, or painted or sketched. Uh, there's an author named C.S. Lewis who you can pretty much pick up anything of his and you can count on it being true, noble, right, pure, lovely, acceptable, excellent, praiseworthy. Tolkien is another friend of mine who I recommend. Read The Hobbit. It's full of beautiful and noble thoughts. Third, revisit the sermon. Revisit the sermon. At some point, at multiple points throughout the week, come back to it. I'm not saying you have to listen to it all over again, although that's probably a great idea. <laughs> but think about it again. Th have your notes that you took maybe and that you, you look through and you say, oh, this was, oh, I forgot. I was, I needed to really consider that. Come back to that so you don't forget it. Fourth, give thanks. Give thanks. I do not mean be thankful. Uh, and what I mean by that is feeling thankful. I'm not asking you to drum up a feeling. I'm asking you to do an activity. To tell God thank you for things or people or happenings. Um, my wife likes to say, if you can't think of something to be thankful about, look out the window. And you're bound to see something that God made. And you can say, thank you, God, for making trees. Be thankful. In the Old Testament, you could bring sacrifices of thanks. And I believe that when we tell God, thank you for, we are giving him a sacrifice. Next is pray. I'm not saying you got to do it for 30 minutes a day. If you will, as you're getting ready to leave for work, uh, I gather my kids um, and my wife, and we, I stand and I pray for them. I pray for me. I pray for my clients. I pray for uh, my vendors, uh, my employees, and then we go. And throughout the day when something hits me, rocks me, or I, I hear something or I see something, I'm... I don't take a half hour and pray about it. I say, oh man, God, I just heard that such and such is happening. Would you give them peace? But we need to pray, talk to God like he's a real person and he's there because he is and he is. Next is meditate on scripture. Meditate on scripture. I would really encourage you to memorize scripture and don't try to memorize a verse a week or a verse a day or a verse a month. Memorize a chunk of something for a while. 
Um, if you don't know what to do, I would suggest um, the Lord's Prayer, which is Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Memorize that. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're stressed about something, you have a pit in your stomach, you meditate, you repeat it, as much of it you can remember in the middle of the night. Meditate on it, think about it, think about his goodness, his kindness, his care, his concern, our relationship to him. Um, that's meditating on scripture, and it almost always involves memorizing scripture, but you can memorize scripture and not meditate on it, and that's bad. Lastly, music. Write the word music. Uh, scripture says we're supposed to sing and make melody in our heart. Um, one of the easiest ways to do that is to listen to edifying music. There's lots of it. If you want some tips and tricks, you can talk to Justin. He would give you lots of great music, I'm sure. You can, you can rewatch or get the list of what we sang here this week and just listen to those multiple times a day. Um, there's a group that I use uh, quite a bit called Salas, uh, which you could write that on the back because you, you guys keep asking me, who is that group you were talking about that you play that's so amazing? I don't own stock in Salas, um, but I wish I could. So it's, uh, it's like Psalms, P-S-A-L-L-O-S. And their Hebrews one is fantastic. Jude is amazing, so you can, you can listen to those, but find music that orients you towards God. And by the way, if you're noticing, many of these things can, you can do one thing and be hitting four things. This isn't about a checklist. I've not given you the checklist, and this hasn't even necessarily told you exactly what to do each day. If you want to know that, talk to me. I've got documents for it, or talk to some of the pastors, or talk to a, a leader in your life and say, how do you do that? Uh, because I don't want to give you one... Uh, way, but I want to give you the big boulders that we have to be addressing on a regular basis. And if we do those things, we're not checking a list, we're not earning favor with Jesus, not getting heaven points, but we are developing a relationship with him and we're putting his words into practice so that when the storms hit, and they will, the house stands. Father, we thank you for um, our time together. We thank you for your word, and we thank you that we have the chance to listen to it, to think about it. I pray that you would please prevent us from stopping there, that you'd help us to take the list that we just wrote down and talk with our husband or our wife or our kids or our parents or our siblings or our roommates and figure out what that looks like for us on a daily basis. And I ask that you would be helping us to build upon that rock, which is your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.